think there are lots of reasons why certain areas of the world are suffering worse than others. And I think they are intimately linked to, you know, one of the most obvious things that's come out in in uh, medical publications and the, the overall uh, hysteria from the press is that, you know, people aren't, well, I think there needs to be a distinction made because you, what you're seeing is, is a lot of deaths for a short space of time. But, uh, um, you know, what you are seeing is people aren't necessarily dying of uh, any viral infection. They're dying of underlying health issues. Welcome to the Win at Life podcast, a place where we share everything you need to know about restoring your metabolism so you can break free from restrictive diets and build a body and life you love. I'm Kitty Bloomfield, co-founder of New Strength and your host for this episode. Today, I'm sitting down with our good friend, Tomo. In this episode, we talk about all the things you need to know to keep your body robust and healthy during these stressful and uncertain times, including what food you need to be eating. We also answer some commonly asked questions such as dealing with stress and thyroid issues and separating fact from fiction when it comes to virus prevention. With lockdowns happening worldwide, it's about doing the best you can. As always, take a screenshot and share your biggest takeaways on Insta stories and tag me at K-I-T-T-Y-B-L-O-M-F-I-E-L-D. Hi, everyone, and uh, welcome back, Keith. It's been a while since we've chatted. I think everyone's just been um, so busy. I bet you guys are busy. And obviously now with everything that's uh, that's going on, are you in lockdown now in Dubai? Yeah, partial lockdown. I mean, well, the school's been shut now for three weeks, so trying to keep everything sane and normal is quite hard i mean there's kind of the social distancing stuff is in place as well and lots of all the malls are shut down i guess that um doesn't really bother me so much but uh, a lot of people uh not working um and everybody's working from home so yeah it's a credible lockdown in place for sure it's all a bit crazy must be hard because obviously craig and i don't have kids but so much more hectic for parents now because you're trying to work and you've got to look after the kids yeah and, and you're paying for schooling and having to school your own kids. It's a mental block I'm trying to get my head around at the moment. But um, I think it actually gives the kids a bit more chance just to play. I've got mm-hmm. quite young kids here, six and four. So any loss of education over the next few months, I don't think is going to be impacted when they're playing, drawing, fighting, you know, exploring, having a, having a good, good time. So it's, it's just the, the time constraints. I, I haven't been able to work much at all with that. So... Yeah, but you know, getting on, getting on, keep it, keeping a stiff upper lip, as as British say. <laughs> so we just thought today we could um, discuss, obviously, the, the virus and you know how I guess in these times to keep yourself robust um, and healthy. You know, you you know, you've done a few really good posts on it um, so far. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's a- yeah. No, sorry, I, I thought something else was coming there. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think there are lots of reasons why certain areas of the world are suffering worse than mm-hmm. others. And I think they are intimately linked to, you know, one of the most obvious things that's come out in in uh, medical publications and the, the overall uh, hysteria from the press is that, you know, people aren't, well, I think there needs to be a distinction made because you, what you're seeing is is a lot of deaths for a short space of time. But, um, you know, what you are seeing is people aren't necessarily dying of uh, any viral infection. They're dying of underlying health issues. Uh, mm. And it's an example is, is, a, is a very good uh, working model for what happens with a high pollution area and an aging population who are potentially on multiple medications for pre-existing issues, which seem to be heart disease, diabetes and blood pressure. Mm. Um, it'd be, what's something I'm really interested to see is how... Um, what are the level of people who are on cholesterol medications? Because cholesterol tends tends to be lowered when you're taking statins, and obviously cholesterol is quite protective to the immune system. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the high levels of particulate pollution, PM two point five and ten, uh, in northern Italy are extremely extremely high, uh, mm-hmm. and this adds some um, explanation why Italy seems to be higher than anywhere else. There are other sources of data coming in from other countries, and I'm not too sure how trustworthy we can be with all of those, especially when you're kind of, uh, especially when you're living in a dictatorship. So that there are kind of, uh, you never know what's coming out of places like China with with the data. So um, it's an interesting one. Um, I think actually being in a place like this and the, this information that we're exposed to is probably the best 
information that people can be exposed to because you're understanding some of the real inflammatory pathways and cascades that contribute to worsening respiratory disease. Mm. Uh, and we know that there are a number of things that we've talked about about why high serotonin can stimulate lung issues and histamine um, when you have gut inflammation can make respiratory function that much worse. Mm. So I think you know, looking at a trajectory of keeping inflammation low, mm. you know, staying active on a on a regular basis without over exercising is key because we know that excessive exercise can uh, push the immune system down further so it's really about getting balanced and i think one of the other things that we need to be aware of if you're kind of your normal life is restricted you know substantially is trying to stay positive and mood going on and mm. if you're not doing some of the things from a nutritional perspective not getting adequate sunlight which again is immune enhancing then you know your, your mental health is going to be pushed down somewhat, especially if you're kind of normal livelihood, uh, social mobility, uh, and all of these other factors are substantially decreased. And um, maybe let's go back because I think this ties in a lot of what we try and teach um, people is around that gut health. And, yeah. you know, like I think the typical like fitness industry diets that a lot of um, you know, coaches will eat, eat the grains, eat the legumes, you know, it's yeah. interesting. Um, Carol, Carol, one of our clients, she sent me this message today. Actually, I'll read it, I'll read it to you. It's quite funny. Um, yeah. She said, Oh my God, this is a daily nutrition message on my Fitbit app. It's such an entrenched health myth to eat heaps of legumes and grains. So it was just a little message. It said, you know, eat fiber rich foods with help, which help with weight loss goal. They're good for your gut and make you feel fuller for longer legumes, um, nuts, grains, you know, it's, and that's what I used to eat and obviously starve myself too. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately uh, you don't see lots of this information coming out, but I can certainly tell you from the hundreds and thousands of people that I've worked with is that when you have people with those particular diets is it doesn't necessarily constitute a good bowel function. And when you're eating a of what is the zeitgeist in nutrition is to eat lots of steamed veg these stem steamed veg they're very difficult to break down they accumulate more bacteria they produce more endotoxin and endotoxin is one of these pro-inflammatory mediators that can contribute to worsening systemic issues whether it's at the lungs whether it's in the brain whether it's in the bowel you know increased levels of endotoxin will help to to increase the permeability of the you have something called brush border enzymes and then you have mm -hmm. the tight junctions in the bowel which they tend to what appear to be more damaged and allow more uh, metabolites and, and issues like endotoxins to cross this digestive barrier into the, into the bloodstream. And then they can wreak havoc elsewhere. And we know that um, if we talk about the concepts of neurodegeneration, mm. endotoxin and histamine, which is another pro-inflammatory mediator, which is increased by any viral infection, that can make this blood-brain barrier much more permeable. So endotoxin will cross the blood-brain barrier. And so downstream effects are going to be effects to, to, to how our brain functions over time and ultimately brain metabolism. Mm. I think too, you know, like and one thing that I've noticed a massive difference in in the last, you know, three to four years is prior to eating like this and actually adequately fueling my body when I used to, just, you know, obviously starve myself, um, is that I would get sick all the time. You know, like I'd yeah. catch every cold, I'd get tonsillitis. And I think like in the last five years, I th the only, actually there's two times that one of them was food poisoning, um, <laughs> bad food poisoning. And then I had tonsillitis once. Uh, that, that's the only two times I can remember being sick in the last five years. So it's just in, even, actually even Craig too. He used to catch colds all the time when we were first together. And obviously I got him with some nutrition and now he rarely ever gets sick. Yeah, I, I'm laughing because I, I don't know how many female clients have said, yeah, I got food poisoning on holiday. Yeah, I lost weight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we see the lining of weight loss, but it's like, oh, but you're quite compromised. And yeah, um, you know, when the body, you know, the reason why we see lots of respiratory issues, influenza, and also perhaps the, why the effects of the, of the current coronavirus is having its effect is for a lot of people in, in, in my hemisphere is we're just coming out of winter. That means mm -hmm. you've had a significantly suppressed biology. And I, I, I put a, a post up on Instagram by uh, somebody who, who's looked at something called biometeorology called Salco Trump. And he mm -hmm. talks about how respiratory diseases, they're much more prevalent in winter. And part of that might be because temperature is significantly decreased. 
Um, I'll also add to that is that light exposure significantly decreased. And when light exposure is decreased, we lose optimal metabolism. Um, our cells don't, uh, don't um, convert hormones efficiently. Um, our general met metabolic rate is decreased. And that's why that kind of, you know, well-known seasonal affective disorder, why people feel a lot lower in a mood state during winter than they do summer. Well, that's analogous to the whole system. It's not just your mood that's lower. It's your whole body system that's been suppressed over time. And that's why people kind of stretch their arms when it's, you know, uh, because it starts to feel, oh, yeah, I'm almost like coming out of hibernation. That's not that's a great exaggeration, but it's kind of a, you know how many people feel much better in, in, mm. in long days of sunlight. And this is why the respiratory effects tend to have their effect over winter rather than summer mm. because heat is a, a potent factor in that and light exposure is as well. So when you restore your metabolism, your body gets warmer. Uh, and I looked at somewhere study that each uh, 0.1 degree or something like that is associated with less respiratory disorders. Mm. Um, and so increased body temperature mediated by external temperatures is is very, very helpful. So, you know, you have to look at the effects of how a pro-metabolic diet and restoring gut function can mm. be essential to not just increasing immunity, because the more that your metabolism and your body system like thyroid function is working efficiently, you have less call on the immune system. The mm. body takes care of itself. We have, you know, part of the immune system, how that kind of comes in and mops up damage. But, you know, keeping your metabolic rate high ensures mm. that efficiency of the system and efficiency of your immune system is kept at, at, at an appropriate level. I think too, you know, like so many women when they join our program um, and I think probably a lot of people are like this is they just initially are so driven to want to look, they want to lose weight, um, you know, or like, as I hate the word tone up, but you know, like women want to get toned and, yeah. you know, so many of the programs out there in the fitness industry are focused on weight loss rather than improving metabolism. And I think one thing that I guess, and it obviously clicked for me after period of time was that when my metabolism was functioning well, weight loss and weight management was easy. You know, I had a period recently where I didn't train for nine days because I just did a deload and we were busy. I just walked Winston like I usually would and sat a mass all day, you know, working my computer and I ate the same food that I'd normally eat and my weight stayed the same um, yeah. because my, you know, I guess resting metabolic rate is so high. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, as I mean, this is obviously the same for men, men as well, but I think we're so conditioned to think, do more exercise, eat less, eat clean to lose weight, which actually, you know, slows our metabolism down, which actually makes weight loss and weight maintenance so much harder. It's like, it's like everyone's got it wrong, like the other way around, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've got to look at it from a, a stress perspective as well. Mm. I mean, if you're going, gym and trying to push it six days a week and you're training for an hour an hour and a half you know it's unlikely from from a, a, a usual unless you're kind of involved in in manual labor um that the load that you're going to be experiencing is going to be beneficial because it becomes a stressor because your body's a not recovering for it you know many people try and train like an athlete all year round like mm. athletes train like that they take in, in you know aspects of periodization like deloading you know corrective mm. period working on foundational aspects of what, depending on their sport and you know you don't see athletes training at the same intensity every time throughout the whole year and and that becomes a problem because you don't get your rest and regeneration um, i think it's harder for somebody who has metabolic issues um, to, to notice. So you'll see people going into the gym day in, day out because they get that temperature lift from training. Mm. Um, but small things creep in. It might be maybe not going to toilet every day or their sleep's worsening or their menstrual cycle's becoming slightly irregular. For guys, I've seen guys uh, who've trained six days a week and still have low libido and low testosterone. So, you know, assuming that from a, a weight management perspective or kind of weight loss perspective that training day in day out very high levels breathless exercise without adequate rest periods mm -hmm. is going to have a negative metabolic effect over time but you're right everybody's been conditioned you have to go and batter yourself in the gym and that's the way that you lose weight but you know the body doesn't get a chance to actually understand where where the anabolic work is because it's mm -hmm. constantly having to deal with this catabolic or breaking down load all the time and you know mm -hmm. breathless exercise 
if you're kind of doing your weights and then do a your cardio session straight after, which is what a lot of people are trying to do. Mm, I used to do that. Yeah, you get a lot of mixed results, right? You're much more beneficial um, trying to kind of focus on your weight sessions and then doing separate walking or whatever sessions, swimming, if you if you need to do that. But mm. but generally, rule of thumb, you give the body slightly mixed messages. Mm. Um, and a bodybuilder trying to cut and get extremely low levels of body fat, which mm. we know in females causes um you know issues like amenorrhea or you know uh, other cycle other cyclical issues or in- enhanced pms and you know there are there are many problems associated with trying to push yourself that hard and i think if you kind of even just uh, speak to anyone who knows what they're doing what well, they'll never suggest you work out like that mm, yeah i know it's crazy it's it's like and still i think obviously i know this now but it still blows my mind you know like the the, the the obviously there's a you still have to train like I'll train three days a week but it's the least I've ever trained you know yeah. and I eat such a lot of food and I look the best I ever have and I think yeah. it's a hard thing to get your head around sometimes especially if you're so conditioned to like you say you know training six days a week and doing all the cardio and doing more and um yeah. you know it's it and two the more muscle you have the better you know, the more calories you'll burn just simply at, at rest, you know, but like you say, yeah. you've got to give yourself like you, the deep, like I always have my deloads now always. Um, and yeah. I look forward to them, you know, cause I know that I'll come back rested and stronger and um, you know, but I can understand, you know, especially with women, how it's such a hard thing to get your head around. Yeah. I mean, the media doesn't do anybody any favors, does it? And unfortunately mm-hmm. there's a large way that the fitness industry that tend to kind of promote that. So you know, and, uh, you know, I think I know plenty of trainers where, you know, perhaps used to look forward to training people five, six times a week, but actually know that, you know, if you get more clients who, <laughs> who, who work, do really well training three days a week, you mm. look better, feel mm-hmm. better. They're going to do better than the people that are tra- taking clients on for five, six days a week, but mm. it's getting, it's a trainer's mindset to change that as well right as well as the 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 clients who are kind of coming on board for conditioning Mm. and let's um let's talk about now you know what people can do to I guess support their metabolism and you know support good immune function during this time obviously one we talked about getting sun so you know like every lunchtime I'll try and sit outside and eat my lunch just on the deck and sit there for 15 minutes so you know obviously now we can't a lot of people can't like go and into the park or do anything, but you could just find a spot in your house, like outside your house in your front yard, you know, get outside and get some sun every day. Are you not allowed into parks where you are? Oh, there's certain like some, yeah, they're not like, like Vic was telling me yesterday that um, you're not supposed to be in the kids parks. So I think some some places, yeah, you're not, you can't. Mm. Yeah. Climb on the climbing frames and stuff, but you can, Mm. you can play. Uh, you know, uh, we, everybody knows the, the, the health benefits of ad- adequate vitamin D and ultraviolet light. Um, there are many studies that show that actually ultraviolet light inactivates viruses. So getting um, uh, adequate light is not just beneficial from a vitamin D perspective, which enhances Im- immunological function. The light does have a specific uh, uh, viral in, in, uh, deactivating effect. Whether it does on this one, don't know, but getting adequate sunlight is key for optimal health, whether you are having a virus or not. Right. Mm. Um, you know, uh, even normal light exposure, because there are different spectrums of light, the reds, the oranges, the yellows, they have different effects on enhancing metabolism, uh, enhancing cellular function. And, you know, when you have a lack of light, it's just the same as being in, in winter, right? If you're, if you're encouraged to stay at home and you're just taking that as, um, as word you're putting yourself in your problems you need to get adequate light one to keep your kind of uh, general health popped up but from a mood perspective we function much better from 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 having adequate light but yeah you, you can't um underestimate the amount of the, the, the effects of having adequate vitamin d and every single day you should be getting some kind of exposure a minimum of 15 20 minutes would be ideal for sure mm. now what about foods yeah, I generally think that, that the approach that you and I both have, which is a pro-metabolic effect, is that I'll use my, my daughter, for example. She had a fever literally three weeks ago, mm-hmm. and we were thinking, oh, maybe she's got this, this virus. Her temperature went up to 40 degrees, and I, all we did was you know, make sure she had plenty of fluids throughout the day. We kept her drinking juices and milk, 
shining some red light on her actually and she lost that fever in 24 hours um, wow. and she she was much better within that time she had a little bit of an upset tummy afterwards but her, and a little bit fatigued but she lost that very quickly and the concept of keeping your energy available is mm. going to mean you know a lot of people say there's an old there's that old wives tale that feed a fever starve a cold well i think that's a load of bs it's like if, if you have something you don't want to starve yourself now your appetite will be suppressed because your immune system and your stress system is being called upon to fight an infection but the best thing you can do is to keep regular energy coming in so whether it's drinking juices or, or milk and stuff like that if you really if your appetite suppressed so much but if you're if you're not ill keeping the the kind of foods that are easily digested high in nutrients provide anti-inflammatory effects you know your oj is pretty really really good mm. uh, and even you know your, your easily digested tropical fruits getting adequate protein in is essential for liver function so you know make sure that you're doing that i mean the contrast between whether you're sick or not is uh, still the same obviously your, your appetite is reduced if you're sick but if you're not mm. keeping your your appetite going throughout the day is really really useful uh, even because these times are quite stressful for a lot of people stress tends to push appetite down and when your appetite's pushed down you tend to start relying more on your liberation of fatty acids, uh, which has a negative metabolic effect. So trying to keep carbohydrate function optimal, also the, the efficient metabolism of carbohydrate um, will help to maintain optimal function from a cellular perspective. Mm. Um, so I think you just got to take it by ear, see how you're doing, uh, make sure you're getting enough calories in, which is obviously mm. important for the body. Um, Liver and oysters, you, our favorite. Yeah. Yeah, zinc, obviously your zinc and selenium are, are very uh, helpful for the immune system. So keeping maintenance of your, your oysters, which is your highest uh, available source of zinc. You know, there are even some of your dairy products um, like butter, and that has good levels of selenium and zinc in as well, uh, and, and your milk and, and other dairy products. Um, other nutritional factors might be, you know, making sure that the food that you're eating is easily digestible. Mm. So it's not an extra metabolic effect that's going to be essential as well um you know the carrot salad is is, is going to be really really good because we talked about endotoxins so mm. making sure that extra extra metabolites in the bowel aren't, aren't contributing to kind of metabolic and immune load so you know making sure you're going to toilet every single day is key um i'm just trying to think of other stuff garlic is having garlic in your food seems to be useful for the immune system um so uh throwing that in with, with plenty of your food obviously your kind of broth rich foods glycine kind of very uh glycine heavy foods which help to uh restore bowel function vitamin c is useful in that but vitamin mm. c is very important in maintaining the, the the gut mucosa making sure you're sorting your foods efficiently which will help to lower adrenaline in these stressful times I've certainly noticed when I've snapped at the kids and uh, I probably haven't eaten uh, <laughs> on a regular basis. I should, but there's also me being uh, looking after them most of the day is, is quite stressful. But if I eat more food and sort my foods, then this can be very, very helpful for uh, preventing the blood sugar response. that's going to be making you snappy. And, you know, if we're all kind of living together, instead of going off and doing our normal jobs, uh, you know, even I think that the strongest relationships will have their little uh, quips here and there. Um, and you touched before, and let's talk a little bit more about red light. You know, we've yeah. all got our little red light lamps that we have. You know, I usually put mine on before bed and we'll ha have, have that. Talk a bit more about red light and the benefits of red light. Sure. So red light helps to restore the aerobic system. Now, when we get damaged the aerobic system, we have various complexes uh, that help to push energy across this the, this. Uh, this membrane and we supply energy by efficiently by having a good metabolism of carbohydrate now as damage occurs to this system that uses both carbohydrates and oxygen we tend to sometimes first of all switch away from carbohydrate and start to use more fat now if that gets chronic it can create more issues down the chain for our, for this energy system and um, when there's a loss of this system at the last part of the, the aerobic chain red light helps to restore that so what red light generally helps to do is to restore the last chain i'm not going to something called cytochrome c oxidase which helps to basically produce energy carbon dioxide and water so even just restoring yourself to red light seems to have a protective effect 
Um, there are many uh, beneficial effects of getting red light. I mean, there are like four thousand odd studies on the benefits of uh, of uh, red light, and some are more uh, productive than others. One of the interesting aspects that I've seen, and I'm not sure if this is is panning out, a lot of uh, red light promoters will say that it increases nitric oxide. And nitric oxide tends to be a pro-inflammatory mediator. So there's a fine line where nitric oxide is helpful and when it's not. But if you look at um, red light as, as its major functions, it will help to restore optimal metabolism, which often means that there's less nitric oxide needing to be produced. So I'm not convinced on this nitric oxide version, but certainly the, the one takeaway from having adequate red light is optimal metabolism and optimal sugar metabolism. And the key to preventing disease and susceptibility to viral infections is having adequate sugar uh, uh, assimilation and, and uh, use. So one of the other things that needs to be considered is that a lot of people in the viral issues that are succumbing and, and dying is their liver is becoming incredibly burdened. I mean, you're seeing some a compound that's used when the liver is damaged. So being able to maintain optimal cellular function will, will mean that there's less burden on the liver. So red light can generally just help to do that. Mm. Um, so let's just have a recap before we, because we've got some questions, um, let's say from the viewers. <laughs> from our clients um so eat enough calories so make sure you're well fueled um easily digestible um you know metabolically supportive food so pulp free juice obviously like emma and i did a live recently about because some people can't access all the foods that they usually would so it's just about i think doing the best that you can um given the situation so making the best choice so juices fruits lean meats um gelatin so either making broths or the new gel um, yeah. dairy is really good. Get your liver in, get your oysters in. So get all those yeah. um, nutrients in red light, sun, get your sun. Sorry, say that again. Yeah. Oh, liver okay. is extremely important because anybody who has any kind of sickness will deplete vitamin A substantially. Mm-hmm. So as a, a, a primary measure, even if you're not, if you're getting in the sunlight, you use more vitamin A up. That's, that's just a known uh, issue of long long bouts of sunlight but you know when people have been had any previous sicknesses throughout the year colds or anything or, or, or any kind of sickness will push vitamin a, a substantially down so you're getting either 20 to 30 milligrams of liver each day or having one or two pieces a week is mm-hmm. going to be particularly helpful for making your immune system super strong and vitamin a um, because it's very synergistic with thyroid, it tends to be carried on the same protein, has this very kind of uh, productive organizational effect. And, you know, people who've had non-thyroidal illness and very long sickness often have extremely low levels of vitamin A. And it's mm-hmm. no wonder why these kind of retinoids uh, and retinol are very protective against the skin cancers as well. So the one thing we didn't discuss is vitamin A is, is, a, is, a, is a big one for sure. Mm-hmm. So we're always banging on about the liver. Yeah, always. Yeah, it's a game changer for many reasons. Oh, I totally agree. And your skin too. Like I just noticed my skin's amazing. Um, You know, it really is. It really actually is a true superfood. Like yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not the green vegetables, not the nuts, not the seeds, not all the bloody other, you know things that the health gurus bang on. It's actually, you know, it's funny because I see, like, I'll scroll through Instagram and I, you know, you see a lot of. Um, coaches and and look I used to be like this too and like they're all you know like it's all so complex and you've got to eat the green vegetables and the smoothies and do all these weird and wonderful things and you know it's just it's now now that I've learned about it and I've been practicing it for a while it's really just you know like food that your grandparents used to eat good old-fashioned yummy easily digestible food like my grandma used to make um, liver and kidney on toast for my granddad. For, it was gross. With parsley, she'd make ice cream custards. We always used to eat heaps of custard. Um, she'd yeah. squeeze. She'd actually squeeze oranges, drain the pulp, and we'd have it for breakfast. Eggs. She'd home make bread. Um, yeah. You know, she'd make pate. All of the things that we do now, roast meats. Um, uh, yeah, potatoes. We'd a parsnip. I remember we'd have bloody parsnip in the roast with gravy, um, butter butter she had this thing of butter she'd have on the bench she'd leave it out in a little like you know those glass like lids over it I always remember um 
So it's like, it's just so, it's, it's, yeah, I find it so fascinating, but I guess I forget that the rest of the world is still thinks that, you know, you should be cutting out sugar and you should, yeah. you know, limit fruit and it's just crazy. Yeah. And obviously the, the increases in the recommended kind of uh, unsaturated fats, which are pro-inflammatory. So, mm. you know, mm. the, uh, the kind of older foods, which tend to have more saturated fat, which tend to be more protective. Mm. Uh, but I'm hijacked by this narrative that they, they're, they're all associated with heart disease. Well, if you eat too much of anything, they can be problematic. But, mm. you know, high saturated fat diets have seemed to be protected for a, for a long period of time. Mm, mm. So, yeah, so well, eat the, sorry? Moderate, say moderate amounts for most people, not high, mm. because, generally, you know, from a calorie perspective, you can get too many calories in from eating mm. really high saturated fat diets. Mm, mm. So eat enough, eat pro-metabolic foods, get your liver and oysters in, um, get sun, get your red light. Um, oh, it's one thing we didn't talk about sleep, I think too, you know, like stay in a good or get into a good sleep routine. Cause I think sometimes, you know, like, and I've noticed it, like I'll be reading the news late at night or scrolling through Facebook, you know, like try. And I think if you can, um, obviously get enough sleep. Yeah. That's- I mean, sleep, Sleep is restorative to the immune system, just like mm. it's restorative to many of the things that we occur. We have some aspect of inhibition when we sleep, because when we get into the REM phase of sleep, we have a gradual paralysis and basically muscle atonia. Our body goes just totally floppy because that we're in a, in a phase of, of restoration. The, the, the more that you're not in that phase of restoration, the more cortisol, the more growth hormone, the more prolactin you produce, which makes your ability to 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 restore nightly uh, it's is massively decreased uh and the more you keep going through that poor sleep wake cycle it means that you know hypothyroidism is a well-known symptom of sleep deprivation for a lot of people that's why heart disease and mood disorders are also intimately linked to to sleep wake cycles so you know having enough energy to stimulate onset of sleep and to maintain deep restorative phases of sleep a lot of people wake up in that kind of you know, three, two to three in the morning, because your brain in its, its deep phase of sleep, the REM phase uses just as much glucose in the, in the waking state as it does in this, this state. So if you don't have enough energy available, mm. you can't access that REM phase of sleep. Mm. That's why you know, having enough energy to get you through a good night's sleep is, is essential. And if you're not having something sweet and salty by the side of your bed can help you to get back to sleep much quicker rather than laying there going, oh, well, my, why can't I sleep? Because mm. serotonin, I mean, which are neurotransmitters, but also modulates of inflammation, the stress response are the things that tend to keep you awake. Mm. Yeah, I was like, I don't um, often wake up, but when I do, I'll always go downstairs and grab some juice and put a heap of salt in it and drink it and um, pretty much fall back to sleep. You know, I can can actually feel the stress going down. You know, you can feel your body relaxing. Um, Awesome. Okay, let's go through the questions. Have you got them there? I'll just pull them up because i had to close my computer hang on two secs um i I can try and bring them up there we go all right yep it's just um hang on here we go i haven't got my bloody glasses on so um i've noticed i've been losing a lot of hair the past two to three months um, I'm 46 years old. I gave up the boost four months ago and I stopped my thyroid meds four months ago as well. In the past three months, I've had trouble sleeping. So it's interesting. You just said that, that the, you know, lack of sleep will, you know, the in, increased prolactin, which yeah. you can mean makes you lose your hair. Um, what else did she say? Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I think I've figured out the mind games I'm dealing with. So obviously going through a bit of a stressful, um, mm-hmm. time. Yeah. So you, I think you've got to ask there is why she come off her thyroid hormone, you know, mm-hmm. because some people will get temporarily feel that they feel great, but mm-hmm. um, there can be a need to support thyroid hormone for a, a longer period of time. So if hair's falling, not just the prolactin, but hair loss is, is, is a, is a well-known symptom of low thyroid function. So I think going back and looking at temperatures and pulse rate sleep, if you're not getting enough sleep, will have a hypothyroid effect if it is poor, dysregulated sleep so that's essential to look back at so sure the psychology and any mind games or any potential stresses will have an effect but at the same time 
if sleep is dysregulated, it could be low thyroid that's dysregulating the sleep. So I would go back, look at temperatures and pulse rates uh, and perhaps have a think about why you came off. Was it just because you got to a point where you feel you didn't need them anymore? Mm. Potentially these low thyroid symptoms are coming back and that might need uh, a review to see if you need longer support for a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, question two, with the virus, is it correct that by drinking hot drinks often clears the virus from the throat to the gut, which then is killed by gut breakdown? This then prohibits it from going to respiratory system to infect. Just one of, I suppose, many things I've read this was stated by a doctor in Spain, apparently amongst other things. One of one part the doctor mentioned was to eat plenty of fresh fruit and veg, coffee and coffee, which so means we're on track. You know, is this true? Well, one thing I saw that I laughed and had to check and it was false was somebody sent me something about putting a hairdryer up your throat and nose and, and blowing that up there. And I found that quite amusing. Uh, heat does tend to inactiv- inactivate viruses. That seems to be mm. quite well known, and hence why during summer periods you have less viral infections around than you do during the winter um, mm. influenza season, for example. Um, you know, you need to be careful if you're drinking lots of hot liquids because the, the, obviously the throat is quite um, susceptible and sensitive uh, to, you want to make sure you don't burn it. I think it's possible that might help. I saw a recent suggestion from somebody who shared in my group about um, breathing salty water in because mm. salt will inactivate viruses. So if you're kind mm. of in a, even if you're kind of in a salt water bath, for example, and the steam's mm. coming off or boiling, boiling, boiling water into a, uh, a salt, uh, making a salt solution, breathing in act, uh, salt will help to inactivate viruses if, it, if perhaps on the, the mucus lining of, of the, the respiratory tract. So that might help. Mm. In addition, when people are down by the seaside, they're breathing in salt water uh, or salty air, they tend to feel more relaxed. And the lowering of salt has a, a positive effect on lowering adrenaline and adrenal activation and hence serotonin as well uh, and the other inflammatory mediators. So, you know, uh, uh, hot fluids may have uh, an effect of some sort. I wouldn't say they're going to be a, a distinct, you know, catch-all. It might be worth trying, but, you know, maybe breathing in water might have an effect it might not it's difficult to say at the moment mm-hmm. okay cool um number three i have a 17 17 year old who was transplanted she takes immune suppressants she's super fussy with her food and frankly just doesn't eat enough and she's a very anxious kid i've bought her the liver tablets and casing to supplement is there anything else you could recommend to try and keep her as healthy as i can over the next few months yeah, that's a tricky one. I mean, eating enough food can help the immune system to function well, but she's taking immunosuppressants for obvious reason. I'm presuming she has a, uh, an organ that's been transplanted of some kind. That's what's going on. That's mm. why you generally take immunosuppressants. But yes, there, there's obviously a risk there. Eating enough food can be extremely helpful. Um, you know, eating the, 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 the helpful substances like vitamin A, keeping the gut functional, you know, typically people who don't eat enough tend to have either decreased or irritated bowel function. So, you know, the carrot salads are going to be useful here, maybe even some activated charcoal every now and then something, Mm. if she's fussy about eating carrots, you know, something that's going to help to to neutralize some of the bowel toxins is going to be really, really useful. But, you know, all the other things like adequate sunlight, even progesterone can be, might be even helpful in this case, you know, progesterone, as a tangent has been shown to uh, be very helpful for damage and fibrosis induced by respiratory diseases. Uh, And so having adequate progesterone is really, really useful. If someone's not eating enough, their ability to produce progesterone and for it to bind it or to to, to go to the appropriate places is significantly decreased because we produce cortisol, glucocorticoids and and glucose to to, uh, supplement the loss of energy from not eating enough. So, you know, all of the things that we would usually consider, it's a tricky one. And, you know, she's probably a bit anxious if she's not eating enough. You know, there's yeah. a, how many female clients make the distinction, go, I don't feel anxious or anymore. And I said, well, you're eating enough. You're mm-hmm. not, you're not dipping in and out of those low blood sugar states all the time. So that can be really, really helpful just for, for, for resolving some of the mood related disorders that teenagers have. You know, how many teenagers go are just uh, diagnosed with anxiety disorders and probably just aren't eating mm. enough food. Mm, mm. Yeah. It's incredible how much difference it can make to how you feel. Um, number four. Another, yeah. Sorry. Well, yeah. Caffeine. You know, there's been plenty of studies previously that showed that mm. kids that were hyperactive or uh, had suffered from hyperactivity 
disorder, although this isn't the case here. But when they added caffeine in, they, their system was much more calmed down and able to focus more on things and, and to mm -hmm. process information. So mm -hmm. caffeine can be great, but you still need it in that context of energy. So have, that's why caffeine and adequate energy tend to be quite protective. But mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily say go and drink lots of coffee if you're not eating enough. So caffeine can be beneficial for helping you to process and feel slightly more focused and perhaps even more oriented to your surroundings. But again, the, the context, it has to be with adequate available energy with those things we've recommended as well. Um, and number four, does he have any ideas on the virus hijacking the ACE2 pathways into the cell? Therefore, people with high blood pressure being more at risk. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert on this. I've only looked at it briefly, but some, some of the the... The people who are, the most, are most susceptible are the cardiovascular disease people. Uh, I think cardiovascular disease has been the primary thing and hypertension, blood pressure, and then diabetes has been the next uh, uh, statistical kind of uh, issue where people are more prone to succumbing from, from this current virus. So what the ACE inhibitors tend to do is they make sure that there's more pro-inflammatory mediators around. Blood pressure, I think, and the real problem behind this, and if you look at Italy again, I've made some suggestions that the, the reason why people are susceptible is that there are multiple medications, including blood pressure, sometimes blood sugar, and perhaps other cardiovascular um, uh, disease medications. When you're in a high pollution state, and I'm, I'm digressing slightly here, mm. is that what happens to thyroid function, testing people efficiently becomes really, really hard because transthyretin, which is a protein carrier of thyroid hormone, T4, and vitamin A gets hijacked by these pollutants, particularly the airborne uh, polycyclic um, derivatives, which what you, you get from combustion engines like coal plants, energy producing plants, and car exhaust fumes and diesel fumes. And also there are other uh, pollutants that bind to this. So the ability to actually say to someone, I don't think heart disease issues like high cholesterol high blood pressure and high uh, blood sugar or low blood sugar related issues. I think they're all part of the same big issue, which is thyroid function physiology. Mm. But a, a problem is a lot of the time is that when someone isn't looking at how the thyroid should be analyzed efficiently, you'll get more cardiovascular disease, more high blood pressure and more blood sugar and cholesterol issues. Mm. But unfortunately people get sourced onto these single action medications. And that's what we're seeing with, with the ACE inhibitors. The ACE2s do seem to seem to work a bit better. But what we have is that when you have the blood pressure medications, you have a lack of flexibility in the system. Mm -hmm. And the pro-inflammatory mediators, some are called bradykinin. We also have increased serotonin, increased histamine. We get more vasodilation occurring because of this stress response. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the flexibility is is much reduced. And therefore, the virus has, an, has a capacity to exploit this blood, blood pressure pathway. So keeping your pro-inflammatory mediators down, even doing something like keeping your endotoxin low in the bowel, because endotoxin seems to make this issue worse as well. Histamine does and serotonin does. And where does serotonin and histamine exert? They're also pro-inflammatory effects. It's at the lungs in addition to the kidneys. Mm. So we know that the respiratory, respiratory distress issues can be substantially decreased when we lower serotonin and histamine responses. Mm. So it's not just effect of the blood pressure medications on the kidneys it's how they create fibrosis and other issues at the lungs that can be an issue as well mm -hmm. so um you know i think uh, as a side action to this this is why something like methylene blue which is shown to inactivate sars and ebola virus can be really really useful why because it, it helps to reduce tissue hypoxia it decreases nitric oxide and something called guanylate cyclase uh, and uh it also has a, a pro-restorative effect on metabolism. So this is where we can look at other uh, compounds like dyes, which have been shown time after time to be very, very restorative to metabolic system, to deal with blood pressure issues uh, and to deal with sepsis, which is what's going on when people's organs are failing as well. So mm -hmm. I'm not saying, um, you know, just think that uh, methylene blue is the only thing keeping our food really really uh, on point keeping the unsaturated fatty acids which will stimulate this pro-inflammatory state which have a negative effect on the kidneys and lungs anyway can be really really useful and methylene blue might just be the thing on top that you can do to stay um, 
basically not ensuring that you don't get this viral infection. Mm, I think, yeah, you, you nailed it. It's like the supplement should always be taken on top of getting the base right. Um, yeah. You know, I think too many people take them and they're not doing the basics consistently. Um, yeah. And now with the methylene blue, I don't know where you buy yours from, but we get ours from Health Natura. Do you buy it, get yours from there? Or where do you get yours from? No, I, I, I've used a variety of stuff. One mm. used to be a company called New Brain Blues, which has gone out of business. There's one in the UK, which is really good, called My, Mitolab. Mm-hmm. I've even... I've even used like bog standard ones from aquarium centers. Mm. Uh, I would recommend people using them. I'd rather go for the USP one, which is, has less of the, mm. it's, it's more rigorously tested, but I've used demons, even something like that before. And, and I'm still functioning pretty well at the moment. Mm. So, and you don't need, of, you don't need much, you know, like just yeah. a couple of drops, two or three no. drops a day. You know, there's there's a bit of a a lot of people. I'm I'm not still sure yet. Certainly, when when people have used it in studies, they've used um, something like two grams, two milligrams per kilo of body weight in studies for a variety of things. Mm. It's like anything when you go into really really high doses. But the problem is that when you take it orally, it's never going to be anywhere near what you see in some of the IV studies where it's injected. Mm. So even a few drops. You know, I've I've taken about seven or eight drops, and my pee turns blue. And I mm. think that's a good sign that you're, you're pretty saturated from what you can take from a digestive absorption effect. Mm. Um, and it, the rest is being peed out or it's not being metabolized efficiently. So, you know, if your pee turns blue, don't be worried too much, but back off it. Green. Just a couple of times a week is going to be really, really useful because when it, when it interacts with sunlight, it does seem to have a very, very uh, positive effect. And that's why it's been used in, as an anti-malarial um, mm. because it tends to, um uh affect blood parasites really really well mm-hmm. um uh, and the other issues it's used as i said is in uh, restoring blood pressure to optimal values reducing sepsis increasing tissue oxygenation um when there's uh, tissue hypoxia we know that when people have hypoxic cells that's when we start to get all of the not just uh, inflammatory cascades we start to see issues with how metabolism is regulated mm-hmm. so keeping a supply of oxygen is key with adequate carbon dioxide we've just got one more question um on the live how close do you need to sit to the red light to actually have any benefit if i'm going to have it in our on in our lounge room so that we're still sitting in it will that be of any benefit i thought about 30 centimeters yeah, i think that's yeah. about right it really mm. just depends on how, how powerful the device is mm. um some people will go a little bit further and use a a, a light device to actually measure the power uh output but I think in, with about 30 centimetres, I think you may get some smaller effects from further away. Um, mm. But I think just exposing it to your body um, for, you know, anywhere between five minutes on each body part up to 10 minutes and, and, and on the body 20, 30 minutes throughout, uh, over the day is going to be really, really useful. But yeah, I think that 30 centimetres seems to be that the, the general norm that seems to elicit results. But so it can depend on the, on, on the device. But you're usually looking at sticking that that range between 650 to, to about 8, 30, 850 uh, uh, NWs. So with the red light, um, small, regu- like say doses of say 5 to 15 is better than sitting there for say an hour with it on Yeah, you? Yeah, remember red light as well. Is it, it stimulates proper metabolism. Mm. So if you're not eating enough, you can feel, you can feel a bit tanked, right? Because if you're mm. starting to... It's a bit. It's it's analogous to the cup of coffee. If you're having a cup of coffee mm. on an empty stomach, is um, and I had a lady yesterday who just started taking progesterone. She goes, I feel really queasy. I said, Well, when did you mm. eat? And she goes, Oh yeah, I haven't eaten for a while. I've had some food. Yeah. I feel great. I'm like, Well, yeah. That, that that's the basics. Is if you're trying to stimulate metabolism and energy and restore it to where it should be, and you're not providing enough fuel, don't expect the 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 the, the mechanism to take you that far. Mm, I think that's such a good thing to touch on, you know, because I've noticed it too, like women will take ProGest or drink more coffee, you know, or take aspirin or take the, and, and then they're like, I don't feel that good, but they're not eating enough food, you know, like eating yeah. adequate calories and the actual food that you're eating is just so important and has to just yeah. be the foundation and the base and really focus on that first before you start adding in um, anything. Because if you don't have the yeah. nutrients there, it's just going to deplete you more yeah yeah agreed there's no magic bullet mm. if you're not getting food right absolutely mm. that you mm. expect. that's why you tend to see 
in some of the studies that show that uh, taking people taking uh, thyroid hormone with subclinical hypothyroidism issues it doesn't tend to resolve. But if you're looking at a study and you have no idea what somebody's eating, you mm. have no idea what adding a, a, a pro-metabolic uh, hormone is, is going to do the rest of the system. It's going to stimulate a stress response. Taking mm. thyroid hormone and you don't have enough available energy, you're going to have to start liberating energy from the breakdown of fatty acids to, mm. to form so you can get more glucose and that's that's the stress response and that's the point is some people think that taking thyroid hormone is the magic bullet but if you're not eating it it can be a complete waste of time mm. yeah totally like focus on those basics you know get enough protein eat the recommended foods eat the carrot salad the liver the oysters and do it consistently and i think that's the key it's like you can't do it for a bit and then have a week off and then you know, it's, it really is that consistency over time with the basics that's going to build you that really solid foundation. Um, you know, and the longer you do it, the better results you'll get now. You know, like we talked about, you know, I, I, I feel like for me, I'm really, it's really easy now. I'm really solid. I, mean, I can eat a lot of food. It's easy to maintain my weight. I feel good, sleep good. And it's just that consistency over time. Yeah, It's not quick, yeah. not sexy. It's not, you know, and it take it, it does take time, you know, especially if you've been doing what you've been doing for many years, you can't yeah. undo that and repair, I guess, your metabolism to its youthful state in yeah. a matter of months. Yeah. I think it's also being realistic about, you know, if you've had a history of 10 years of really bad health issues, mm. don't expect it to be good, you know, mm. really good and work out what it takes to get that good day and see if you can keep replicating it. And there'll mm. be days when you have an absolutely crap day, but it's understanding that, you know, there are probably some factors that have caused that to happen. And mm. it's like some people, I'm not saying this is a, a negative effect. Some people never get to the point where they're absolutely getting back to their youthful 18 year old self. That's mm. just a product of aging, but the more of the anti-aging kind of, principles that you can incorporate which is maintaining cellular health and metabolism is the way to go to making you be able to feel better and to try to recoup some of those days and make you feel like you could do more be more explorative get more hobbies go back to being a bit more sociable or not some people are mm -hmm. introverts but at least having the, the 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 capacity there to to be a little bit more with the environment rather than kind of being succumbing to it which is what these kind of uh enforced social policies will have on some people so mm. keeping strong and healthy and and positive by maintaining a metabolic rate means that you're really looking forward to this being over and ready to bounce back into the world mm. well thank you so much um keith i've got to run because i'm doing a bloody we're doing the home one of our home workouts we put together um live in our group which i'm not looking forward to because i'm my legs are really sore from squatting uh yesterday and apparently it's quite challenging this workout that craig's put together um so thanks again i really appreciate it and i know that everyone always enjoys listening to you share your incredible um knowledge so yeah everyone just eat, eat the food eat, eat consistently you know i think this will obviously eventually pass and you know Try and stay as healthy as you can and do all those um, those basic things. Thanks so much and um, we'll speak to you again soon.